on page 39. He who is victorious over all said, Then, slayer of too much, Krishna, spoke these words to he whose eyes were filled by tears, being overcome by misery and sorrow. Now, the, here is an obvious reference to the slayer of, of too much uh, being um, uh, Madhusudhan, uh, the slayer of Madhu. Uh, so that obviously the Chandipat is much earlier, it precedes the Bhagavad Gita, because already he had slayed Madhu and Koitaba. Uh, so uh, here the slayer of too much then spoke these words to he whose eyes were filled by tears, being overcome by misery and sorrow. Uh, he, Krishna, is speaking to Arjuna. Remember, uh, Sanjay, he who is victor victorious over all, is telling the story to Dhritarashtra, blind ambition, the king. So he's explaining the narration between, the dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna. The respected supreme divinity said, Clarity of pure devotion, from where has such despair presented itself at such a time as this? It is not the most noble character, and it leads neither to fame nor to heaven. Son of she who excels, Arjuna, do not yield to sentimentality. Do not allow such a feeling to rise in you. Renounce this lowly weakness of heart and stand up with the greatness of illumination. Clarity of pure devotion said, Slayer of too much Krishna, how shall I engage who knows no fear and who injures his foes with weapons in armed confrontation? They are both worthy of adoration, O destroyer of enemies. Rather than slaying gurus of such great feelings, it is better to enjoy begging in this world. With the slaying of gurus, I understand that all desires and objects of enjoyment will be stained with blood. How can I... How can I confront my own gurus in battle? Even this we do not know, whether our victory or their victory is preferable, or who will win. Deployed before us are the supporters of blind ambition. By killing them, we do not even wish to live. The defect of attachment is mocking my intrinsic nature. Because confusion obstructs my consciousness, I am asking you, what is the ideal? I am your disciple who has taken refuge in you. Tell me, instruct me of that which is best without a doubt. Now there is an intelligent man. He recognizes that he's in confusion. He recognizes that he's bound by attachment. What is the ideal of perfection? Guru, illuminate my darkness. Remember, the syllable gu means the darkness, and ru means the illumination in the darkness. The guru illuminates our, our wisdom. He inspires wisdom within us. I am your disciple. I take refuge in you. Tell me, instruct me of that which is best without a doubt. For even if we obtain undisputed wealth, kingdom, or even lordship over the gods, I cannot see how to rid myself of this grief which saps the strength from my body. 
Here he is bound by attachment, seeing all his beloved on the battlefield. Look at, look at all of our desires every time we confront them. Aren't they all equally pulling at us in every direction? That's why we're, we move into confusion. We love this one and we love that one. We love them all. If we loved one so much more than the others, then the others wouldn't have any attraction to us at all. But we love them all so much. Which way shall we turn? We become overcome with confusion and therefore grief because we recognize we're going to have to sacrifice something. We can't have it all our way. So here is an intelligent man. He says, I'm a disciple. You illuminate me. You tell me what to do. I surrender. He who is victorious over all said, having thus spoken to controller of the senses, a name of Krishna, who has conquered sleep, a name of Arjuna, of great illumination said to he who is one-pointed light, Krishna, I will not do battle, and became silent. What an intelligent man. I'm not going to make a decision until I know what's the right thing to do. O oh, descendant of the light of wisdom, then in the middle, between the two armies, a smiling controller of senses, Krishna, said these words to he who was sorrowing. Now comes the illumination. Don't go to Canada. <laughs> you can't flee from the battle because the battle is omnipresent. It's going on every moment of the day. There's nowhere to run to. You've got to stand up and face it. The respected supreme divinity said, you speak words of wisdom while you grieve without cause. The learned grieve for neither those from whom life has fled nor for those who yet remain alive. Never was I not nor you, nor these rulers of men, nor shall any of us ever cease to be. Just as the wearer of the body is present in the body in childhood and youth and old age, in the same way at the end of the body comes another acquisition. Thinkers are not mistaken about this. The wearer of the body Who wears this body? That individual was present in childhood, in youth, in old age, and it's going to put on another body when this one is no good anymore. Of this, there is no doubt. O son of who takes away the deficiency of others, Arjuna? Cold, hot, pleasure, pain, merely touch. They are temporary and impermanent. O descendant of the light of wisdom, Arjuna, be beyond them. When you're sitting in the ice water, you recognize that it's merely touching you. And that it's going to be over soon. Don't worry about it. Just finish the chandi. <laughs> it's just touching you. 
best of people, those people who are not tormented, who experience pain with the equanimity of pleasure, those are they whom thinkers conceive to have attained immortality. The untrue cannot be known to exist, nor can the true be known not to exist. The essence of both has been perceived by those who have intuitive vision of this principle. Know that of which this all is a consequence to be indestructible. No one has the capacity to destroy the imperishable. These bodies are perishable. Who wears the body is eternal undefinable, indestructible. Therefore, you should do battle, O descendant of the light of wisdom, Arjuna. They both do not know who presumes the capacity to kill and who thinks it to be killed. It neither kills nor is it killed. It does not take birth, nor does it experience death, nor does it become only after manifestation. It is unborn, eternal, everlasting since ancient times, and it is not slain when the body is thought to die. This it, this imperishable, eternal divinity, that the wearer of the body. It's not subject to all of these conflicts and, and confusions that come from the confrontation of opposing forces in our lives. It's eternal. Be beyond all of this petty, transient worldliness and realize that divine essence Son of she who excels Arjun, that man who knows it as indestructible, eternal, free from decay, how can he kill and by whom can he be killed? As a man discards old worn out clothes and accepts other new ones, just so the wearer of the body discards old worn out bodies and enters into other new ones. Never change our clothes. <laughs> same color. Yeah, same color. Just take a new one. Don't need many fashions, though. Once you find the color that works for you, why should you change it? Weapons cannot cut it. Fire cannot burn it. Water cannot wet it. Wind cannot destroy it. It cannot be cut, it cannot be burnt, it cannot be wet, it cannot be dried. It is eternal, it is existent within all, consistent, immovable for all time. That it is comparable to thut, as in thut twam asi. It is said to be unmanifest, inconceivable, without change. Therefore, knowing it as such, one should not grieve. 
If you were to regard it as continually taking birth and continually dying, then also you should not grieve, O you of mighty arms, Arjun. For those who take birth, death is certain, just as from death birth is certain. Therefore, you should not grieve over that which must be. That means there are two ways of looking at it. One is it's eternal. It doesn't, it doesn't take birth and it doesn't move into death. It just changes bodies as other people change their cloth. Or we can say that it is eternally taking birth and moving to death and taking birth and moving to death. In either philosophy, it's eternally in a cyclical flow of transformation. The nature will transform according to her nature because that's her nature. If we ask her not to move according to her nature, we will experience pain. Because change she will and change she must, because that's her nature. So therefore, you should not grieve over that which must be. In either point of view, if you look at it from the point of view of Shiva, it is eternal. It will never change. If you look at it from the point of view of Shakti, it is constantly changing. In either point of reference, there's no cause to grieve. All beings were unmanifest before and will become unmanifest after, O descendant of the light of wisdom, Arjuna. They are manifest only in the middle. Then why sorrow? So very few perceive it as wonderful, and even fewer others speak of it as wonderful. Very few others hear of it as wonderful, while the majority do not understand it, even having heard. O descendant of the light of wisdom, Arjuna, the wearer of the body who dwells in the body is eternal and does not ever admit to death. This is the, the Vedanta point of view, from looking at it from Shiva's point of view. Therefore, you should not grieve for any unmanifested existence, considering your own ideal of perfection. You should not waver. For a man born to fight, fighting for the ideal of perfection is better than any other reason known. There are three types of, three attitudes of all life. Pashu is the lowest form. It's animalistic, relating from the lower chakras, regarding all behavior as instinctive. And those are the attitudes of the lower, uh, lower concerns of the, of the body, uh, uh, eating, sleeping, uh, feeding, and mating. Uh, Birya is a warrior. 
a hero, a kshatriya, someone who is striving to rise above animalistic tendencies and to manifest uh, div as divine a behavior as possible. Someone who is striving to control their animalistic propensities and striving to, to exemplify divine behavior in every activity. A hero, a virya, a warrior, a kshatriya, fighting for the light. Dibya is the third, divine. Someone who is there all the time. Their every action, their every thought, their every attitude manifests divinity. So now, considering your dharma as a kshatriya, as a warrior, as someone who's striving to manifest ideal behavior in every action, you're a man born to fight. Fighting for the ideal of perfection is better than any other reason known. What else would you fight for? You're a hero, a virya. You're a yogi, striving to manifest yoga in every activity. That's the fight. Of its own accord, the gate of heaven has opened to you, son of she who excels Arjun. Happy are the warriors who attain to such a battle. Certainly, all of us are sadhus striving to manifest the ideal of perfection in our every behavior, in our every thought, in our every action. What joy to be able to have the awareness to participate in such a battle. If you refuse to engage in this battle for the ideal of perfection, then you will incur the sin of destroying the fame or value of your ideal. If you really think it's the ideal of perfection, you'll stand up and fight for it. You will strive to manifest ideal behavior in your every action if you really believe that the ideal is, is worth pursuing. Or if it's a part-time avocation or a hobby. <laughs> I'd, like to be, I'd like to be in love with God, but I'd also like a lot of other stuff too. <laughs> then it, that doesn't maintain the sincerity of a hero, of a kshatriya, of someone who is really fighting to manifest dharma in every action. So if you refuse to engage in this battle, for the ideal of perfection, then you're, you're uh, derogating um, the, the value of the ideal. You're diminishing the value of your ideal. You're not demonstrating your commitment to your ideal. And therefore, the sincerity of your commitment is questionable. Beings will speak in derogation of your undying ideal, and for the highly respected, such derogation is worse than, worse than death. If your ideals of perfection are not worth standing up for, then uh, that is a death. It's a kind of a death. Yeah. We've, we've accepted mediocrity. We've accepted worldliness. 
And what a greater blow to spiritual life than to accept defeat at the hands of mediocrity, than to accept defeat and in derogation of the, our ideals at the hands of selfishness. That is worse than death. Great warriors may think that you, from fear of battle you desisted and you are held. You who are held in high esteem will attain smallness. Hmm? Well, it's true. The, the ego, if the ego wins and makes us turn away from our fight, huh? won't we attain smallness in our own eyes? Well, I feel that myself. If I'm committed to an ideal and I turn away from that ideal, and I, example, I exemplify behavior in derogation of my ideal, then don't I feel small? I won't stand up for my own ideals? If I can't trust me, who am I going to trust? If I know that my commitment is only lukewarm and wishy-washy, whose commitment can I believe? So your enemies will speak many unspeakable words in ridicule of your capacity. Won't this be painful? Every time I contemplate any desired objective, my enemies inside are going to come and debate the opposing point of view. Now I have reason to doubt everything that I hold dear and true. I'm giving, I'm planting the seeds of greater confusion in the future. I ran from the battle this time. Why won't I do it again? Why shouldn't I do it again? Now I can surrender to the politics of convenience. I don't need any conviction at all. Once I know that my commitment isn't sincere, how can I have conviction about anything? What kind of a warrior am I? If you are killed, you attain heaven, or if you are victorious, the enjoyment of the earth. Therefore, arise, O son of who takes away the deficiency of others, Arjuna, determined to fight the war. Perceive with equanimity pleasure and pain, gain and loss, victory or defeat. Only with such preparation for war can you be free from sin. This has been presented to you in the philosophy of Shankya, the enumeration of the principles, the union with the intellect. Now hear of that intelligence united with which you will be liberated from the bonds of action. In this way, neither loss of effort nor contrary results can be known. Even striving towards this ideal a little takes away the greatest fears. O oh, delight of action, Arjuna, who has defined the goal in this way has one single mind. Scattered in infinite directions and branches are the thoughts of those whose goals are not defined. 
That's fairly clear. Yeah. <laughs> huh. So as soon as we've made the sankalpa and we've defined the goal and we've made the commitment, we become focused and we become free. We become free through action, not free from action. By focusing our attention and our action into our committed objective, into the object of our commitment, we become free from the wandering mind. Scattered in infinite directions or branches are the thoughts of those whose goals are not defined. That's the bondage, having no sankalpa. Wandering to and fro, devoid of clear understanding, want of resolution. O son of she who excels Arjuna, there are those of obscured consciousness who utter flowery words, who are devoted to worldly knowledge and speak of no other position. Their thoughts are bound by desires for the highest heaven and their actions give the fruit of rebirth. They perform many special acts for the supremacy of enjoyment. For those who have directed their intelligence to the supremacy of, enjoy, supremacy of enjoyment as the delight of consciousness, absorption in divine consciousness is not contemplated. That is, if we're pursuing worldly attachments, the supremacy of enjoyment, personal aggrandizement, uh, divine consciousness is not contemplated. Clarity of pure devotion, there is knowledge which contemplates the three attributes of nature, satarajantama, as also that by which one becomes beyond the three attributes of nature, beyond conflict, eternally established in truth, taking refuge in union with his own soul. As is the value of a well beside a flood of waters, just so is all worldly knowledge to a knowledgeable one who knows divinity. A similar value as a well just beside the flood. The worldly knowledge to one who knows divinity. You have authority over actions, but never over the fruits. Never let your motive be to the fruits of action, nor let your attachment cause inefficiency. Perf Excuse me? Yes. No, that's a, that's a very, very uh, important verse. Perform all action established in union, renouncing all attachment, conqueror of wealth, Arjuna, 
Remaining the same in success or in failure, such equilibrium is called yoga. For inferior actions are far from union with intelligence, conqueror of wealth, Arjuna. Seek refuge in intelligence. Miserable are those motivated by fruits. United with intelligence, one abandons both good actions and bad actions. Therefore, strive to attain union in yoga. Yoga is efficient action. It's so efficient, there's no confusion about it. It's so efficient that they, we're totally focused and directed. We're united with it. Yoga is efficient action. Wise men who are united with intelligence renounce the fruit born of their actions and attain liberation from the bondage of birth. They go to a blissful state. When your intelligence will overcome being covered with ignorance, then you will attain indifference to what is heard and what will be heard. You become udas. Das means a servant. U, a, u, ma. A means creation. U means preservation or circumstances. Ma means transformation or completion, fullness, dissolution. Srishti, stiti, and loy. U is a circumstance. Das is a servant. Udas is a servant of circumstances. What does the servant of circumstances do? He's the witness. And he stands by and watches, and wherever it's possible, he employs effort to evolve a more harmonious circumstance. You become you will attain indifference to whatever is heard and what will be heard. Remember Madhu and Koitava, too much and too little, took birth from the dirt in Vishnu's ears. Too much and too little came from the dirt of Vishnu's ears, from what was heard. So when your intelligence will overcome being covered with ignorance, then you will attain indifference to what is heard and what will be heard. When your intelligence will rest without movement, free from hearing false opinions, from mistakes or from errors, it will be fixed in pure intuitive vision. Then you will attain union in yoga. When your intelligence will rest without movement, free from hearing opinions, free from mistakes or from errors, fixed in pure intuitive vision, that is union in yoga. Are you getting tired? No. Do we have any questions so far? Yes. Uh, in some cases, uh, a buddhi is uh, 
buddhistada. Uh, it, it will be intelligence, yes. It's not when the intellect. Mm-hmm. And that's different from intellect. Yes. Buddhi is cosmic intelligence? Yes. It's a smart intellectual smarts. <laughs> Book learning. Well, let's go on. Clarity of pure devotion said... O embodiment of the functions of creation, preservation, preservation, and transformation. This is another definition of Keshava. Hmm? The embodiment of the functions of creation, preservation, and transformation. Krishna. Expound upon he who is established in wisdom, who experiences pure intuitive vision, who has fixed his mind. How does such a being speak? How does he sit? How does he move? The respected supreme divinity said, son of she who excels Arjuna, ignoring all desires born of the mind, one remains satisfied with his own soul and with his own soul alone. Then he is said to be established in wisdom. Uh, a, a little later we're going to find that just as all the rivers flow into the sea and the sea never overflows, in the same way all the thoughts flow through the mind of a Muni, but the Muni never reacts. So here it says, uh, it don't, and not to be free from all desires or never to have any desire, because that's impossible. Icha, Kriya, and Jnana Shakti. These three energies are inherent within every manifested object of existence, from Brahma to a blade of grass. The energy of desire, Icha. Shakti. Kriya, the energy of action, and Jnana Shakti, the energy of wisdom. These three energies are inherent in every manifested atom of existence, from Brahma to a blade of grass. You can't have existence without a will to be. So it's not saying being free from all desires. It's saying ignoring all desires. Ignoring all desires born of the mind, one remains satisfied with his own soul and his own soul alone. He, then he is said to be established in wisdom. Whose mind remains without obstacles when in pain, who remains free from desires when in pleasure, we enjoy when we're free from desire. In fact, all pleasure is a consequence of being so focused that we cease to be there. We get so much into the delight of the experience, so focused in every experience that there ceases to be a desire. We forget all about our little selves and get so focused if you see a good movie, you identify with the characters of the movie so much that you forget about yourself and your little problems. 
If you read a good book, you get so much into the book that you forget about your little self. And you have no desire, and then you enjoy. And the same thing goes for every sensual stimulation, whether it be food or sexuality or sensuality. Everything that we enjoy, we enjoy, enjoy to the extent that we're not there. So being free from desires when in pleasure, who is free from passion, fear, and anger, is said to be the wise one who has fixed his mind. Who is equally in love with all that is, attains neither elation nor aversion to the pure and impure, such a being is established in wisdom. When he can withdraw his senses from their objects of perception, just as a tortoise withdraws his limbs, such a being is established in his wisdom. From a wearer of a body who does not partake, desire itself turns away. For one who has perceived the supreme, the experience of emotion is devoid of emotion. The wearer of the body does not partake. Desire itself turns away. Like they come and knock on the door and there's no one home. The wearer of the body is focused someplace else. So therefore, desire itself turns away. He's just the witness. He doesn't partake. He has no attraction nor aversion. He merely sees. O son of who takes away the deficiency of others, Arjuna, for the senses are so strong as to harass even the wisest of men, to carry away the mind even of he who makes an effort. Having controlled all of them, sit in union with me, the highest. For he who has subdued his senses becomes established in his wisdom. The man who meditates upon any idea cultivates attachment. From attachment comes desire and from desire comes anger. That means we must be very discriminating about what we're going to meditate on. What objects will we choose for our meditation? Because we will cultivate attachment for whatever we contemplate. then we become attached to God. And we have a desire for godliness. And all the other little desires pale in comparison to the great desire of our attachment to God. And that's a man who is fixed in his wisdom. And that's just what I read here. From attachment comes desire, and from desire comes anger. Get away from me, all you frivolous desires. I don't need you. I'm attached to God. I hang out with the Divine Mother. What should I do with you, little desires? What joy could I possibly have from little desires? They're transient, petty, little attachments. Why should I give up the great delight for such a transient, petty little desire? 
From anger comes ignorance. From ignorance, confusion of memory. From confusion of memory, the intellect is destroyed. And when the intellect is destroyed, one is lost. Yes. But isn't the desire to hang out with God also just another desire? Well, if you were going to evaluate the, all your desires, some of them are pure and some of them are impure. So in, in our understanding, it's impossible to get rid of desire so long as you have a body. So better use our discrimination to decide which desires are pure desires, which are going to keep me out of trouble, and which desires are petty and transient desires, which are going to get me into more trouble. And using that discrimination and that wisdom, knowing the difference, act accordingly. And live your life as to create the greatest amount of harmony wherever we go. Because we know when the trouble comes, it's no fun. All that, that little moment of enjoyment became useless, contrary to my ideal of perfection, because it created greater problems for me. Now, use our discrimination to understand what is my goal? Where do I want to go? What desires will bring me closer to that goal? And what desires are going to take me farther away? Please. So is it, there's clearly a difference in one who has attained union and one who's not attained union. But even for one who's attained union in just observing Ma, mm -hmm. I mean, she's always in here hanging out with gods. Yes. I mean, that looks like her greatest desire. Yes. So that desire is still there. Certainly. Even after union. Icha, Kriya, Jnana, Shakti are inherent within every organism. You cannot have an atom without icha, kriya, and jnana shakti, the energy of desire, the energy of action, the energy of wisdom. But you can approach it in detach and attach. Yes. The desire of God, definitely, Shri Putitumar, Anuraktharvet, detach. When you have the desire for godliness and the feeling of godliness, mm -hmm. then you have a desire without attachment. That is the jatra. Uh, in the path to knowing God, there is emotion. In the knowledge of God, there's union. It says previously in 59, the experience of emotion is devoid of emotion. For when you are subdued in your senses, when you are completely there, in that space of being in samadhi, there is no emotion. There is only communion. Now, as you move into samadhi and move out of samadhi, 
You experience all the emotions and all the desires, but you're free from reaction. You're focused on your goal. You know where you want to go. The desires knock on your door and there's nobody home. Just as we ignore all the desires, we focus on the big desire, the one that will bring us to freedom. It may or it may not. I, I know people who have been in samadhi for long periods of time and they come back and devote their lives to sharing the love of God and inspiring other people to move into the path of godliness. There is not a three-week rule. It is said. It has been said. Uh, I don't... They say... Yeah, they told me a lot, no more. They told mother a lot. Don't stay in samadhi so long. But they said don't stay. They did not say don't stay. They said she'll leave body. Yeah, they said she'll leave body, wake her up. Everybody use every effort to get her out of samadhi. <laughs> Can you imagine? Those are devotees. Huh? That's what you call a devotee. Everyone use every effort to bring her out of samadhi. Because if she stays in samadhi, who knows what's going to happen. We may be bereft. The selfishness of a devotee. <laughs> it's really quite incredible. So many of us strive to move into samadhi. And just when we get there... Uh, God has given everyone their own karma and they will fulfill their karma. These all, uh, uh, the they says, uh, are merely hearsay. Uh, it's superstition and uh, individuals' own conceptions. God has given each person their own karma and they're not going to leave until it's fulfilled and God knows the time when that will be <laughs> it was that someone had left their body after three weeks of samadhi and therefore everyone surmised that, that anyone who will that's the time limit anyone who stays three weeks is gone <laughs> it's not necessarily so Not necessarily. Well, I know the stories of Trilingo Swami show him going for many more days at a time. Uh, many more days at a time. He whose soul takes control of the various ideas, wandering with the movement of the senses, that knowledgeable soul attains as a gift of offering freedom from the activities of feeling the sentiments or passions. 
That is, if you can steal the senses, you can steal the mind, and you can control the, 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 the various ideas, and that prasad will be freedom from the activities of, of passion or sentiment. Yes, their sadhana is not complete. No. Uh, certainly, when you look at mother's behavior, you find. <laughs> well, it, we, of course, we worship eight forms of passion, and we worship it passionately. We, we don't. <laughs> we don't worship dispassionately. We have a lot of passion in our worship, and we strive for more. Because the greater the passion, the greater the focus. So here we're meaning... We're meaning... Uh, passion, passion material, worldly. That's right. Uh -huh. Right. A passion for godliness and a dispassion for worldly attachment. Right. The passion for God, you, you see, there's only one passion. You can either focus it on your selfish desires or you can focus it on your other, uh, on your divine desires. But there's only one passion. And you can only focus it in one place at one time. And that's a choice we all make. Do I want to amplify my selfishness or do I want to surrender my selfishness and amplify divinity my soul doth magnify the Lord <laughs> the gift of offering gives birth to the loss of all pain whereby the intelligent one becomes firmly established in the, the light of consciousness this cannot be for one who is not united with the intellect, nor for one who is not united with an attitude of awareness. And for one without an attitude of awareness, there is no peace. And for one without peace, how can there be happiness? For the movement of the senses enjoins the mind in contemplation. Every movement of the mind is a reflection of the movement of the, the, every movement of the senses or of the body is a reflection of the movement of the mind. So for the movement of the senses enjoins the mind in contemplation. Every time the senses start moving, the mind is thinking. That takes away his wisdom as a boat is pushed across the waters by a wind. Therefore, O mighty, one of mighty arms, Arjuna, he whose senses have been consistently restrained from the objects of perception is established in wisdom. That which all existence regards as darkness inspires wakefulness to he who practices self-control. That which inspires wakefulness to the rest of existence the wise man perceives as darkness. That is, worldly values are diametrically opposed to spiritual ones. 
in the worldly lexicon, profit is called giving less and taking more. That's what it means to make a profit. And in spiritual life, spirituality means giving more and taking less. So what is regarded as, as gain to the businessman is a loss to the spiritual being. What's regarded as gain to the spiritual being is a loss to anyone in the worldly, world, uh, worldly attachment. Just as waters enter the, in, enter the ocean which fills but does not overflow, just so all desires are attained for he who has attained peace, not for he who's, who desires greater pleasure. That man who renounces all desires and moves without desire, without attachment, without ego, he has peace. O son of she who excels Arjuna, this is establishment in supreme divinity, wherein one becomes free from delusion. Being thus established, even at the end of time, he will attain complete dissolution in supreme divinity. Om. Any other questions about chapter two? Please, Crystala. Mm -hmm. When he who um, has no desire or has no attachment, um, he's without ego and everything, but when you're, and he has peace, but when you're around those who don't have all those great characteristics, or, or, um, I don't, I think she does, <laughs> wherever she goes, regardless of what other people are feeling and thinking, she just brings peace to every situation. The answer is yes, she does. And to the extent that we cultivating that peace and inculcate that attitude in ourselves, wherever we go, we bring peace to the environment. Because when people see her, they think about their own deficiencies, but then they think, wow, how come she has so much peace? And they get peace and inspiration from her peace, which brings a new perception of their difficulties. And pretty soon they start striving for peace and harmony in their circumstances too. Are there other questions? Yeah, this Kesha Brahma Stupi, so this establishment in supreme divinity. Um, are there any other ways you might describe that state of Brahma Stupi? Oh, gosh. Neti neti. Not fair. How can you ask a question like that? How can you ask uh, uh, this uh, uh, Brahmastiti? Uh, how can you, what it's like to be established or, or in in supreme divinity? That's not a fair question. Are there other questions? Nirahankar means without ego. 
Now remember, near means water. <coughs> near means without. Near as water means, uh, let's look at the qualities of water. Uh, it's always in equilibrium. No matter how you turn the container, the water will always be level. The water always takes the shape of its container. So now you have a, a humkar uh, ego, which is in the shape of the circumstances of existence, which is always in equilibrium, always in balance, near a humkar. It is the servant of circumstances. It's udas. Excuse me? Yes. Excuse me, mother? Bromos titi bhakti kote pared. Ami bolam na. Ke wo bhakti kote pared bina. Neti neti. Would you like to describe it? I mean, I would, uh, we would love to hear some more poetry. When you will uh, feel your own soul, where will you go? Is that a Cohen? <laughs> the sound of one hand clapping. <laughs> Swami, I, I have another question Please? about this experience of desire, you know, from the realized state. You know, back to verse 59. Yes. The desire itself turns away. Yes. So it's desire itself turns away is not so much that desire is not coming because of, say, past, you know, seeds that had been planted prior to realization. Mm -hmm. It's just that there's nothing to attach to and the mind That's right. lets them slide by. So it's not that desire isn't finding them, it's just not finding a fertile field to take root. Correct. In. Correct. The desire itself turns away. It comes and we ignore it and it, it moves on, just like Shankaracharya describes the prarabdha karma, when the arrows land, if we just watch and don't shoot off another arrow, then it's finished. And if we see the arrow land and we grab for another arrow and shoot that one, then he's got more karma. That's right. They are there as samskaras, as tendencies. Uh, but pretty soon they deplete themselves, just like Rakta Bija, the seed of desire. When Kali opened up her mouth and she took all those seeds of desire and digested them, then pretty soon there were no more seeds of desire. That's just what happens when the arrows land and we don't respond. Because of our lack of attachment, they are burnt up, consumed, digested in the mouth of Kali, in the mouth of time. Time itself 
is the great healer and it just dissipates the energy from those desires. So those desires knock on our door and there's just no one home to respond. We're not interested anymore. Oh, absolutely. In Brahmastiti, in that samadhi of Brahmastiti, there is no desire. It's only moving in and moving out. That desire can, can attach itself. But in that state, isn't it that it's not the individual's desire, as it's the desire of nature that um, that individual would engage in activity? Because that's the way nature wants them. They are nature. That's right. And so it's just the reflection of nature as opposed to their own personal little ego. Well, it, some of the desires are a reflection of nature, which is the, de, the, the attitude of the divine desire, and some of them are petty, individual, personal, selfish attachments. Not just the... Like I like vanilla over chocolate, you mean? Or I, I would rather go to do something frivolous to relax and play myself even though it, I, I, would do, I would be better to remain consistent in my sadhana and in my commitment and fulfill my obligations. I'm going to ignore my obligations and do something frivolous and petty on the side just for my own personal gratification. Oh, absolutely. We can see very clearly, this is something I'm doing for myself, and this is something I'm doing for the self. Well, we're defining grace of mother as kripa, and kri means do, and pa means get. So what we're calling the grace of mother is what you do is what you get. And if we perform the sadhana, we will get the fruit of our karma. And that's the grace. Because we know we will get the fruit of our karma, we want to sow the right seeds of karma so that we're going to get the right fruits that we desire. Yes. Uh, within the text, it says that in the whatever way you worship me, in that way you will find my darshan. If you worship me in the form of selfish attachments and selfish desires, you're going to find my darshan by becoming selfishly attached. Very easy. Simple. <laughs> 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 and if you worship me in the form of universal knowledge and in the form of loving, joyous devotion and wisdom, you're going to find my darshan in that way. Choice is ours. It's just a decision we make about life. We sure do. <laughs> so, but there's no, it's 
it's no longer worship as a path. Oh no, it's worship as life. Mm-hmm. Worship as the thing that you most prefer to do. Sure. Once established. You've got a life to lead. What else would you want to do with it? Nobody could work the way we work for money. You got to work the way we work for life. So does worship or sadhana once you're established and your goal is it different than that sadhana somebody understands? Certainly, it is. Someone who is performing sadhana, a discipline to get someplace else always has an objective in mind. Uh, with someone who's just worshiping because they love to worship, because it's the thing they do, they do it just because they love, as an expression of their love. They don't want anything in return for it, or they, do they require to receive any type of sign that they're doing it properly or that they've attained something? So it's unconditioned and unqualified experience. Whereas those who are doing sadhana to get someplace else always have uh, uh, some bifurcation in their attention. One part of their mind is going to the path, the other to the objective. They're looking for the experience to validate the path. No, no, that's a foolish thing. (laughs) That's foolishness. That's wishful thinking. Certainly from the point of view of Vedanta, everyone is already enlightened. However, how often do we forget? (laughs) And if that's true, then we've got to do something to remind ourselves. That's sadhana. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get it straight, Mom. Yeah, good. Um, so, you know, somebody in a state of realization, you know, he's still getting the desires from their past action, but they're not taking fruit. And so, over time, because he's in a pure state now, he is no longer giving energy back to those old thought forms or however, you, whatever word you want to describe. Okay. So they're not growing in energy whereas now for instance our sort of bad habits you know you know we do some sadhana and we kind of like burn some up and then we like feed them and then you know <laughs> so like you know we're taking a couple steps forward a step back but so that's why then as that's why there can be a difference in the light different life streams that get enlightened because someone like say Sri Ma because she's had like lifetimes of purity now in, in her present embodiment like all the sort of worldly things are so far in the past there's not even there hardly mm-hmm. whereas like when Steve Scheimer gets his enlightenment you know, he's still going to like potato chips and uh, you know what I'm saying it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's there is it seems funny but you can differentiate between levels of uh, of realization but that one realization one level of real, one realized soul can exhibit greater levels of purity than another realized Relation soul video. It's it's very true. And there is no end to the amount of purity that they can attain. So from 
time to time, they're gaining even greater purity and greater perspective and distance from their, their past vasanas or samskaras, as you would like to term it. All these old desires get even farther and farther and farther away. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's a conditioned response. Well, it's it's not a question of of a desire. Mm -hmm. It's a question of a habit. It, it's not like she desires to have, you know, a certain type of food. That's right. And just because she has a body, she will have certain. Uh, 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 attitudes which are conditioned within her. And that doesn't in any way diminish the type of spiritual knowledge that she has or her spiritual presence. I would distinguish between having desires for personal something or other for my selfish self and having a habit uh, of food that you like to eat or dress that you like to wear. It could very well be a conditioned, uh, a, a condition of your body. I was no, I was trying to use that sort of like nicely, as opposed to sort of like getting into the details. Absolutely, that it is okay that you like potato chips, because I like them too. <laughs> and if you take away my potato chips. <laughs> I, I don't. That too. I'm giving blessing to be potato. <laughs> you can become a potato. Please. You know that or nobody hates potato. Until you are not getting diabetes or something. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves potatoes. This <laughs> <laughs> one. Um, so, I mean, I know that Ma worries. And she worries about us, you know, when, when we get lost somewhere. <laughs> 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 so okay. I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> like my beer goes out and gets lost. I know mine's gonna worry. Or maybe if I don't come back for a few days, I'm sure she must think we're sitting on So you know I had the thought I should call. But days. <laughs> you should see a couple of hours after you leave. Where did he go? <laughs> What's his itinerary? What's he gonna eat for lunch? No, I don't say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Find him and give him a sandwich. <laughs> so the question is then, then I mean that's a natural response from a compassionate woman um, to care about what's happening to her children or to whomever. Or where where the people come here are going to sleep when they get here. But does it have an effect on her? No, it has an effect on me. <laughs> it, is not, it is not affected. That's the same thing. It's coming, giving more than taking. It's coming. 
you know, you say, I cannot see children who suffer in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. But doesn't that have an effect on the, on the quality of your peace? Right. Peace never goes away. Mm -hmm. I like to make peace everybody. Everything we see, everything is, I mean, it's just a functioning of the consciousness. It's just a property. But the, the enlightenment person is just witnessing it all from the platform of the absolute. There's no attachment. I understand that. Just just like, I understand that. <laughs> And yet, we take great delight in shouldering that responsibility. Uh, obviously, we're shouldering it or because uh, of our own accord. Nothing is forcing us to shoulder the responsibility except our love for God, which makes us to perform as we do. To, which makes mother to make the beds for devotees so that make sure that they have clean linens and they're comfortable when they come to visit her, even if they come without notice. That's my pure <laughs> love. Yeah. But I'm, I know that, but I'm saying, on one hand, yeah, I could see that you're just witnessing.